It's funny, what Nathan didn't tell you about uh, the message this morning is uh, I, we, we, about three months ago we wrote a bit of a short list. People of purpose is the theme. And Nathan and I wrote a short list of people in the Bible that we thought would be really good, a diverse range of people that would be really good to, um, to kind of unpack this idea of what does it mean to be a people of purpose. And it was a while ago, and I'm getting a bit older, I'm older than Nath, and I actually forgot that this person was one that he wrote down, he suggested. And so on Thursday when we caught up and I said, this is who I'm talking on this week, somebody in the room, there's only two of us, and one of us had a tantrum. No, no, you can't. No, you can't have him. You can't have that person. I want them. And then he was fine and he said, it's awesome. I'm glad you're doing it. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) the funny thing is, the person we're talking about today, we don't even know their name. A person of purpose from the Bible that we don't even know the name of. And it's like, wow, could they really be a person of purpose? And it's awesome that I think it's even significant that people of purpose don't have names. Like just as a starting point, God uses names in a very powerful way and this person does have a name and their family knew their name and it was significant. And, uh, and, and it's, it's very important that people have names, I think. And, and it's very important that we respect people's names. Um, Aussies are terrible at respecting people's names. Particularly people from other cultures that come in and they say, your name's your friend. And we, and we do, we're a bit dishonouring of people's names. Um, complete aside, but um, names are significant, but sometimes names can get in the way. And in this case, the name of this person actually gets in the way of the story, which is really significant. Let's read from um, Luke chapter 7. Awesome. Luke chapter 7. After he'd finished all his sayings in the, he- in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, this was probably where Jesus lived at the time, by the way. Just there's other places where he mentions that, where it mentions that um, he, that was probably his base. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is, one, he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And then those who had been sent returned to the house they found the servant well. It's a short story about this centurion, a guy we don't even know the name of. A centurion was a a Roman official. He may have been Roman. He may have been uh, a mercenary. We don't know. He wasn't Jewish, um, that's for sure, because the the Jews were the oppressed nation in the the picture. And uh, as a centurion, uh, the name actually suggests sent. He was responsible for 100 soldiers. So he was actually a man of authority and responsibility 
in the Roman picture. But in the Jewish picture, he was one of the oppressors. The, 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 the Jews were hoping Jesus would come and throw the, um, get rid of the, the Romans. And this is one guy of authority in the Roman picture who the Jews would have despised. And so we start with this guy who has power and influence. And what does he do first? He sends some Jewish elders to Jesus on behalf of his servant. Now this is the first crazy part of the picture because he maybe it made sense to do it on behalf of a family member, but a servant he like when they're a waste of space, you kill them. It was actually not just the power to kill them, it was assumed that once the servants wait a waste of space, you get rid of them. And yet he starts with a different position. He starts with a position of saying I actually want to go and bat for my servant. It's weird to begin with that this guy of power and authority can have any servant he wants has said, no, I'm going to go bat for a servant. And then he sends some Jews to bat for him, to Jesus. Maybe he was smart and went, I know the culture here and going as a Roman might not look so good, so I'll send him Jews. We don't know. But the amazing thing is, the Jews that go to represent him to Jesus share a very unusual picture of this guy. They say he is worthy of you to do this for him. A Jew, talking about a Roman centurion, is worthy because he loves our nation and he even built our synagogue. This is not a normal guy. This is not a guy that sees his position and his authority the way Probably most of the Jews would have experienced Roman centurions. This guy has a different character. And it's pretty amazing to see this character in light of Jesus representing a servant. And so it says Jesus immediately responded and went towards his house. Now another thing that's really interesting, um, I read a commentary during the week about this and it said it would have been fascinating to see what Jesus did when he got to the house. Now he didn't make it there. Because this guy wasn't Jewish. And it's not based on the uh, Mosaic law, but the Jews had created a a tradition that says, if you go into a, a, a Gentile's house, you become unclean. So here's this rabbi, Jesus, potentially about to walk into someone's house and become unclean. So they said this. It would have been fascinating to see what he did if he got there. But again... The centurion sends friends out to him and says, I am not worthy to have you as a guest in my home. He may have understood the idea of the uncleanness as well and said, don't, don't um, defile yourself for my sake. Um, it doesn't, he doesn't say that, but it's possible. Either way, this centurion, who actually has power and authority over Jesus, says, don't, don't bother coming to myself. It's the reason I didn't come and see you myself is because I'm actually not worthy of you in this picture. And he goes on to articulate how significant that is. And, and the way he articulates it is, is mind-blowing. And it's actually mind-blowing to Jesus. Jesus said he marveled at the way this guy responded. Do you know how many times Jesus marveled according to Scripture? I'm sure he did it more than this, but the number of times that it's recorded that he marveled 
One, we've got a suggestion of one. I can say it's more than that. It's twice. Twice he marveled. And the other time, he marveled at the unbelief of the Israelite people. The, yeah, well, the concept of marveling, but that word. That word's used a number of times. People marveled at Jesus a lot. So that word's used in the New Testament a lot, but it's everyone towards Jesus. They marveled at how he spoke. They marveled at how he, how he healed. But in terms of Jesus marveling at others, twice. One at the unbelief of the Jews and one at this guy. That's it. So he marveled at what this guy's response was. Because this guy says, I am a man of authority and I command people what to do and they do it. And I know, first of all, I'm not worthy for you to be in my house and I'm not worthy to come and see you. So we've got, we've got some ranking things going on here, right? He's going, me as a man of authority compared to you is nothing. But also as a man of authority, I know that when I say something, it happens. And so I also know that you don't have to be here to say something and it will happen because I know the authority that you carry. This is amazing. But what is beautiful about this and what I want to focus on this morning is the picture of what it looks like to have identity, to know who you are. Because so often we struggle with this idea of who am I, how do I fit into the picture, how does God see me? And this centurion recognized who he was in his culture. But the beautiful thing is, two weeks ago I talked about Ezekiel and him seeing the glory of God. Do you know what this guy's experience of Jesus was? Not only do we not know his name, he's never met the guy. He's only heard stories of him. It's phenomenal. He's heard stories about Jesus and has gone, based on what I've heard, I know who this guy is and who I am. As a centurion of the army, knowing that I make instructions and they happen, compared to you, I am nothing and I can't even be in your presence because you are so amazing and I know when you say something, it happens. That's why Jesus marveled. Because this guy understood who he was. And he understood who Jesus was in this picture. And there's something fantastic about this that's hard for us in our culture to understand. We talk about us becoming children of God. And it's it's true. As children of God, we inherit something that God has that we didn't have before we became children. We become close. We become family. There's intimacy as part of the family of God. There's beautiful protection and covering as you carry the name of your father, right? There's some amazing things, but this guy gets something that we don't often hear in churches or in our culture. And that is when you come into the family, when you're part of a family, there's a hierarchy and the head of the household is the father. And what he says goes. Now, we like the belonging, we like the family, but part of our identity is actually under the authority of God, under the authority of the Father. It's a beautiful thing, and yet we resist it because we think it's a controlling thing. And you're right, there's plenty of people that are stuffed up being a dad and use their power and authority in the wrong way. I'm not trying to say everyone's right in that sense and and every family model's perfect. But the family model that God presents and represents that this guy identifies without even seeing Jesus is one of the rank and authority that Jesus has in the picture. It's interesting. I went to, um, I didn't go, my brother went to India and he came back and said it's fascinating because 
their family culture is a little bit more like the Jewish culture. I'm not sure if you realize it, but a Jewish father, if he wants to sell his son or daughter, he can. There's nothing legally against it. He could kill them if he wants. They're his. Um, In fact, the wife, and I'm not suggesting this, no husbands nudging wives, right? The wife would call their husband Lord or Master, right? This is no... Did you hear what I said before I said that? <laughs> Just let's, let's back off. Of, let's not power trip because it's coming back to you, right? Um, there's something we're getting to, so don't get too confident. Uh, <laughs> but my point is that this guy, this man of authority, knew who he was in the picture. He knew his identity in the picture. And it's actually a beautiful place to be when you surrender to the authority of God when you recognize the authority of Jesus. And my first question is this, how much will it take for you to believe that Jesus has the authority? Because for this guy, it took hearing a few stories. We've got a book full of stories. The first half points to him and the second half explains him. But it didn't stop there. We've got 2,000 years of stories, of testimonies we call them, which is testifying to what Jesus has done in people's lives. A living Jesus testifying to what's happened. And yet I still think we hedge our bets. I still think the authority that you would see in that place, in their culture of family, is not the way we see God. We want the love, we want the protection, we want the inheritance, but we don't necessarily want the authority. We resist that part of this beautiful picture, and it is beautiful when the authority is in good hands. As I said, my brother went to India, and he came back and he said, it's fascinating to see how families live over there. Because he didn't go over there as a tourist. He went over with some Indians that we'd met here, part of our church in Ormond. And um, he went over with them as families to do ministry together. And when you were in their families, Dad would sit down in front of the TV and say... I want the remote. And the kid would get up, go and get the remote and give it to him. It didn't matter whether the kid was watching TV. It didn't matter what was going on. And again, I'm not trying to say that this is the way God operates. (laughs) Right? But then he would say, gee, I'm thirsty. And one of his kids would get up and go out and get him a drink. And he said it was really mind-blowing because these kids weren't oppressed in the sense that they were slaves in the family But they did recognize the authority of the father in the house. And I want to be careful because our earthly model of fathers, as I said before, is not perfect. But in the model of where Jesus fits in our lives, there is an authority that he has. And our identity in Christ is actually one of humility. There's a passage that I love. Romans 12, 1, 2 and 3 have been an inspiration to me. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself in sober judgment according to the measure of faith God has given you. So you think, don't elevate yourself higher than you should, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, with, with, yeah, not like a drunk person, but soberly, Think about how you see yourself. And then it goes on to say, and I haven't thought about it this in, in this context of the centurion, according to the measure of faith God has given you. So in other words, 
your confidence is only as good as your confidence in God. Because if your faith is great, your trust of God is great, your surrender to his authority is great, and you believe he is who he says he is, then sure, you can be confident. But if you're not confident in who God is, don't put tickets on yourself. Does that make sense? And this centurion comes to Jesus and says, I know what this picture looks like. I know how I fit into this picture. And you are who people have said you are. And I know you don't even have to be at my house. And you can say things and things in the spirits will happen and they'll be healed. And they were. My second question is this. When was the last time you said to somebody, my life is radically different because of Jesus? That's all this centurion heard. All this centurion heard was from others who'd said their lives were transformed by Jesus. It's a challenging question that I think is something that um, I know this week as I was praying about this was something that I think we wrestle with partly out of our identity. Because when God is the authority, when God is the one with the power, when God is the one that determines what tomorrow looks like, it's no skin off my nose to tell you who, who Jesus is in my life. It becomes something that is a badge of, of honour. Um, Joel used to use the word, I, I loved it, Godfidence. Your Godfidence determines what your actions are representing God. And so I'm really inspired by this centurion. I really think the centurion's an amazing guy. Jesus thought he was an amazing guy. He marvelled at him because he knew who Jesus was and he, he, he made choices that he didn't have to make, that he, he had the power and authority to do otherwise, but he made choices out of a posture of knowing who God was, who Jesus was. I really want us as a body, and I want me as a Jesus follower, to be a person who lives with this posture, that my confidence is only as much as my confidence in God. And I'm not going to boast about anything unless it's boasting about Jesus. Because it's Jesus who has transformed my life. It's Jesus who gives me hope and purpose in life. And it's Jesus that's the reason that I live. And so if I'm going to go around being confident about anything, that is the impact I want to have on this world. If I'm going to get excited about anything, that's what I need to be excited about. That is what drove the centurion, recognising who Jesus was in the picture and throwing all the traditions and rankings away. Let's pray. Lord, our lives are nothing without you. Lord, we have no hope, no joy, no peace outside of what you have done on the cross for us. And Lord, the centurion didn't even know that at the time, what was coming. And yet he trusted you and submitted his authority to yours. And so Lord, as a people, we come to you and we say, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you are here to, to comfort to clarify, to, to correct where needed, Lord. But we thank you so much that you have come to bring healing to brokenness. We thank you so much, Father, that you are a Father that models fathering well. That when we surrender authority to you, it's not an authority that where we're persecuted, but it's authority where we're loved and embraced like children, like your son. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would help us like this centurion, see our identity in you. 
to recognise the authority that you have over all things. Lord, some days I'm grateful for your grace, but there's other days, Lord, you are too soft on us, I think. You let us meander along doing things our own way. Lord, we come to you today and Holy Spirit, we ask you to convict us of the areas of our lives where we haven't surrendered control, where we haven't acknowledged your authority, where we've chosen our own way attitude over yours. And we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. But Lord, we ask you to come and be our strength. We ask you to be our confidence in our walk with you. And we thank you so much that you are faithful, that you will never leave or forsake us, and that our identity is strong and firm in you. Lord, I pray for opportunities this week to those that have confidence in you, Lord God. I pray that this week would be a week where they see and hear, where we see and hear and respond to opportunities to share the hope that we have in you. Lord, I pray for ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to be transformed this week, Lord God, for the sake of your gospel, not for ourselves, but for you. Lord, we love you, we worship you, and we just acknowledge your power and authority in this place. And we surrender to that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.